I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. This episode of Spaces Podcast is supported by CTO Landscape Architecture. You'll hear more about them later on in the show. Hello! My name is Demetrius, and you are listening to Spaces Podcasts Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. In today's episode, we have a fascinating conversation with a partner at Softy Architects. In the conversation, we have kind of a general discussion about the state of architecture today, digging into shifts in culture and thinking, how architects can work together, diversity in design, and the need for architects possibly to get engaged in policy making. So stick around because you won't want to miss this one. But before we get into it, we're going to give a quick nod to our sponsor. All right, for our California listeners, this is for you. CTL Landscape Architecture in Anaheim, California is a young, ambitious, fast-growing firm providing landscape architecture planning and design services to the AEC industry, real estate developers, and public agencies alike. CTL's expertise with designing California native landscapes and water efficiency calculations makes permitting a smooth, painless process. The CTL team is continuously revising and improving workflows to better meet project milestones while providing the flexibility to work within client schedules. Their work from anywhere, anytime office schedule allows for agility when it comes to delivering client work and balancing personal time and life events. Learn more at ctola.com. 
That's S-I-T-I-O-L-A.com. Or you can call or text to 657-217-6169 to see how Sitio can help with your latest development project. A little peek behind the curtain, Pablo at CTO is a listener of the show and I've actually worked with him before. And when it comes to developing native landscapes, I've been pulled into projects where the property owner hit a roadblock at the city where they required additional landscape plans and calculations. And I was able to reach out to Pablo immediately. And with his expertise and knowledge of the process, he was able to jump in and quickly help these property owners get their projects back on track. So reach out to Pablo and see how Sitio can help you on your next project. So as I mentioned, our guest today is a partner at Softy Architects. Please help me welcome Jaron Lubin. Jaron, thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you for the invitation. Uh, Really looking forward to this conversation. In preparation to chat with you, I did a little bit of research and checked out some of your previous presentations and and conversations, but there's a lot that piqued my interest and I wanted to dig in with you. But before we get into it, can you let our listeners know a little bit about yourself and and what Softy Architects, big picture, kind of what you guys do? Asking me to talk about what I do is like, my wife would say like, here we go. You know? <laughs> um, so we're, so, uh, we're based in Somerville, Massachusetts. I've, I've been working here with Moshe Safdi and the team, my partners, and the practice for 17 years. We do work all around the world, and the focus of the work, I think, is really centered around kind of uh, human-centric design. And I, I mean, a lot of people say that, but I think that we <laughs> we uh, practice what we preach. We're really focused on kind of starting any project, thinking about the program and the people who will use the building and the kind of spirit of the place and the context that we're working within. And we really like to like soak up exactly the culture of everywhere we go and bring the spirit of, um, we say like utopian optimism or kind of humanism to it. And uh, in that sense, we're great optimists about the power of architecture to make people's lives better like simply put. And um, that's what makes us all here really excited to come to work every day and it's to think that the projects that we do really are for so many people to enjoy and that our decisions every day have consequences. We have this kind of like moral obligation as architects. I, I, I like to talk about this obligation to perform, to make spaces really wonderful for not our own purposes, but for all the people who will use them yeah. now and 50 years from now, because buildings um, should stand the test of time. I think a lot of the work and the things that I think about specifically myself are, are totally based on some time, formative years. Sounds funny. Like I'm still relatively, I'm young as an architect. Like I don't have white hair yet. So I'm, I, <laughs> But I had super formative years um, working and overseeing construction and, and practicing architecture in Singapore. Okay. I lived there for four years um, with unbelie- like an unbelievable team. And everything that I like, 
speak to and that I like to teach and, and, and practice is all super informed by my experience there. So it's not uncommon for me to talk to that as part of my own origin story <laughs> in, in a sense, because it made a huge dent in the way that I think about architecture and, and the kind of responsibility that we have to practice architecture today. Yeah. Jimmy, you mentioned sort of this utopian optimism Going to the grander scale of the profession, what would you say your opinion on is on the profession, whether you're optimistic or pessimistic on the state of architecture right now? Well, I'll, like, why do we talk about utopian optimism a lot? First, maybe I'll like set the stage, which is to say that like my boss and my mentor here, our mentor here, Moshe, started, he kicked off his career as part of Expo 67 in Montreal, which was like this explosion of utopian visionary thinking in the sixties around how architects and great design, not just architecture, but designers can transform the world and the quality of life for people and for human beings. And that led to his proposal for habitat and that housing system and, and everything that came after and that that air of optimism was a springboard for so many people and so many thinkers who were talking about not just design as a as a style or a fashion but or as like a a trend but that design had great power to transform the world and and, and like uplift people's like happiness and wellness and health and eliminate pollution, that we could solve certain political issues through through kind of like embracing design thinking and, and coordinating that with policymakers and integrating ourselves within kind of a larger discussion. And, and so like our practice wasn't the only one back in the day there thinking optimistically about the power of design. There were like wonderful groups of people thinking together, not individual architects, star architects, but groups of thinkers. And that was pretty cool. You had the Siam movement who had these congresses where they would meet together and, and focus around the kind of power of these teams of people to transform the built environment for the better. You had the metabolists, you had groups like Archigram, and then you had individuals like Buckminster Fuller, uh, who was thinking about spaceship earth and and the power of you know design and systems design to to do great things so so long story short that's the stage or the platform mm -hmm. and so from there you project 50 years forward and this is something i li we live in this space or i particularly enjoy living this space of looking back 50 years practicing now and looking ahead 50 years mm -hmm. so if i was to think about all the things 50 years and even centuries of architectural development, I think about all these wonderful ideas that were here before we arrived, before we arrived to the scene, before we all thought that we should reinvent everything. Yeah. Um, like there's so much to learn from who has practiced before us. And I think that today, there's a certain amount of cynicism and, and kind of, let's say, depression, general malaise 
that perhaps the the visionary thinking 50 years ago that existed about the power of design to do things, it's transformed in a way that I don't think that especially young architects, students, and young thinkers, they don't appreciate the power of design and the power of architecture to do great things. And I, I think this is like, um, this is like a major thing that I've been thinking about, especially over the last two years, having more time to think during COVID and, and that maybe it's time to reflect in, on those earlier days of a visionary thinking, not as individuals, but as groups to come together um, across practices Maybe many practices should come together and think about common goals yeah. towards solving some of the major issues of the day. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think that too often our kind of paths don't quite intersect from practice to practice. So like I have lots of colleagues and friends and who work for other architecture firms and everyone has their kind of thing going. And they're great. You know, if anything, uh, I admire so many practices out there, but the nature of the profession these days is that each individual practice gains work through competition by going after something and saying like, I'm going to spend a certain amount of time coming up with my idea to solve an issue. In fact, that's how we gain 80% of our work, which is troubling that you do that. I understand it, but at the same time, I think it causes a lot of trouble for us that architects don't really work well together because of this misalignment of common goals. And and because of that, maybe we're not able to come together like Moshe did and, and like some of his colleagues 50 years ago to, to think big together. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think there's a lot of optimism that I have, we have towards like maybe changing the way that architects work towards a more collaborative model that would make our work better and make everybody like give greater benefit towards the built environment, towards the world. And that's like this great kind of like optimistic feeling. But at the same time, I can't help but be a little bit cynical of the whole world where we operate in because we're so far off today from being in a place that can actually work well together. Yeah. You touched on a few things. Is there one thing that you identify as sort of the barrier? Is it just the competition? Is it purely financial? Have you pinpointed in your mind or your opinion what you think is that barrier from keeping us from working together? It's interesting. If we work with a lot of other architecture firms, like I said, that are phenomenal designers. And I love asking this question of like, what is, what's keeping us from working together? And uh, it is about finding kind of common ground, common goals. I think that one of the places, like, this is not, this is what I said before. This is like, not weird for me to say, like in (laughs) Singapore, dot, dot, dot. So in Singapore, we note that there's an interrelationship between the design profession and the policymakers that is quite interesting in creating an environment that encourages more collaboration mm-hmm. in that the common goals that are set by the government agencies and, and planning authorities 
they set the scene for architects to work both individually and together to create a pretty wonderful city setting. And it's all about these planning agencies setting guidelines and incentives and, and organizational structures first that creates the playground for all of the designers and inventive thinkers to come in and innovate and, and do their thing. Yeah. So this is a very different model than a developer or an open competition coming to an individual and saying, I have specific interests in a specific individual thing, an individual project. Because when you work with a planning agency, you're talking about like you're part of the whole. Yeah, it's more of an idea rather than purely a profit incentive. Yeah, and, and you know, it's not only that, you're not limited in that world by the typical shortlist that we see for every single project. So like, if you want to do a museum these days and you look at the shortlist, it's like the same five architects in every <laughs> shortlist. Yeah. And in a world where the planning groundwork is there, the incentives, the, the kind of guidelines, it really makes for a, a much more collaborative and almost like democratic environment where you don't have to be a shortlisted type uh, star architect to create great buildings, great places. You're participating within an environment that allows you to communicate with the whole profession and kind of work together and kind of spin off ideas in a kind of more communal manner which is a really exciting prospect. The kinds of projects that come out of that are rich and they, 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 they feel like the buildings, when you have uh, mega developments go up, that they feel like they're speaking to one another and that they're, they're stitched to the public transportation systems, that they create a good balance of public and private space and embracing the public realm and et cetera, all the good things that people advocate for. And uh, I think that's a working model that would be amazing to bring to, for instance, the United States, mm -hmm. where planning um, becomes more central to our practice and that we appreciate that we're not just here to create super big sculptures, <laughs> but that these super big sculptures have a reason to be as participating in a larger city plan for many, many people to use and have an obligation to fulfill. It's funny you mentioned that system of the policymakers sort of setting the stage because I, uh, and, that, and that short list, the same short list, because I've gotten those RFPs and I go to look and see the list of architects that are already have uh that are on the short list or that have dropped their name in the hat i'm like i can't compete with any of them and i don't even bother putting the effort into putting a proposal together because i know i don't have a chance but if there was this opportunity to create a collaborative to at least get in the room and st start to share ideas and be a part of that process whether it's just early on i think that would make much richer projects like you mentioned because my background, what I would bring to the table, what my opinions on things are, would be very different from someone else 
And I think you could have all of those inputs into a project, which are extremely important to have everyone's experiences brought to the table to inform how that gets designed. Sure. The, the diversity of design and creating opportunity is a really interesting question that I've been thinking about as well. You know, opening up more opportunity for more architects to participate in these like wonderful projects. And I was at a conference a couple of months ago. It was a tall buildings conference. And I've been speaking at these for the last couple of years now. Immediately before I spoke, there was a um, city design manager, director, who's responsible to kind of sign off on all the buildings that are going to be proposed and built for the next, you know, let's say 10 years. Mm -hmm. And it struck me that he, he had, first of all, he had all these wonderful programs for the design of the city of Chicago that were really quite ambitious compared to many city planning agencies that we see. However, it struck me that he said that, you know, the last couple months, he's been reviewing 15 new tower proposals for the center of Chicago. And he didn't understand why they all looked exactly the same. Yeah. So on the flip side of this kind of like RFP listing, tight-knit group of folks who are continuously given opportunities to do these singular projects, you have this developer model, which is not... Um, which is not great yeah. where, you know, a tight fit to a, to a zoning requirement and like maximizing the potential and the capital return for a project with basically zero ambition, um, zero am architectural ambition, you know, let's just build and let's just earn. <laughs> and so <laughs> when you have policy in place to kind of think about the bigger picture you have foreground and background buildings. You have the right building in the right place at the right time. Yeah. You have an organization of a, of a plan and a master plan that's looking 30, 40, 50 years in the future about where this building stands now, but also how it contributes to the creation of a, of a city plan that somebody or some group have conceived in total. Mm -hmm. or at least a framework in total. And that framework, the best frameworks are those that are kind of smart and flexible that don't imagine that we know exactly how we'll use cars in 50 <laughs> years or yeah. like, you know, whatever. So I think, again, planning is something that is this kind of this missing link right now for the profession. So is that next step? us getting more involved in policy or trying to encourage policymakers to bring us to the table? I think it has to be us getting more involved, but I, I don't have an answer for about like how, because I know that on the kind of other side, if we wait for policymakers to come to us, that's just not going to happen in this country. Yeah. It's just not the nature of, of how we roll. <laughs> So it's a huge question and I, I can't pretend to have the answer for it, but I, I have been thinking about it a lot and I do wonder how maybe the same practices that are, you know, individually working on all of these major projects around the U S could 
come together and actually brainstorm towards like a list of common goals. And I also imagine like how troubling that meeting might be like, you know, with, like, <laughs> everyone coming in and, and not really <laughs> listening to one another. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think that I or we have an answer, but certainly we, we believe here that, that by comparison to other countries abroad, that we have this challenge of, of not being able to kind of like organize ourselves. And so it's just a very interesting provocation to think about what if, what if we could, and through what mechanisms would we be able to come together? Yeah. Such a fascinating conversation. Uh, before we head out, is there any, anything that you would want to leave a listener with as far as architecture in general, where do we go from here? Uh, or just anything that, that might come to mind. So we like to kind of promote for like individuality and, and kind of looking around above and beyond the kind of immediate fashionable context of what architects are doing today, but to appreciate that we're, we're, we come from like this unbelievable profession with a crazy long history and that there's a lot to learn from looking back and to becoming almost super knowledgeable about everything that's happened before so that you can understand where there might be wiggle room to try something new, where you could bring something back, where you could sample from the past towards the future. And so in that way, I love promoting this idea of, of kind of looking across. And, and I think, unfortunately, the kind of current mindset is that we look at architecture blogs online and Instagram and it looks at the now and it looks at trends and, and, and it kind of leaves you flat for inspiration. So mm -hmm. in, in my opinion, so I think I would advocate for people to really explore more and to like dig deeper. And, and that's where you can find really great things. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jaren. Uh, if people want to follow along with you, what's the best way to do that? Or, or uh, Softy Architects website? So we have all the social media. We're on Instagram and, and that's pretty, I'm on Instagram. I mostly just talk about work all the time. <laughs> um, so that's the best way to follow along and, and just keep an eye on us. And yeah, so yeah, thank you for, again, for the opportunity to share a little bit about what we're into. Thank you, Jaren. Thank you to the listeners for listening. And we'll talk again on the next one. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsors. By checking them out and supporting them, you help us keep this show going. Thank you again to our sponsor, CTO Landscape Architecture. To learn more about how they can help you with your latest project, visit ctola.com. That's S-I-T-I-O-L-A dot com. Or you can call or text at 657-217-6169. Thanks again for listening. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media dot com. If you enjoy our show, you can support us in three simple ways. 
for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.